FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive Director Jackie Clement, Fast Chat features notables in news, media, and business. WSHU Public Radio is proud to support the Fair Media Council's annual event, the News Conference, Real and Powerful. It brings together some of the best in news with forums featuring open dialogue to answer your questions about the news today. It happens live and online January 26th through the 29th. Get tickets and details at fairmediacouncil.org. Douglas Brinkley is the Catherine Sanoff Brown Chair in Humanities and Professor of History at Rice University, also CNN presidential historian, and a contributing editor at Vanity Fair, the Chicago Tribune dubbed him America's new past master, and the New York Historical Society has chosen Douglas Brinkley as their official U.S. presidential historian. So thank you so much again, Doug, for joining us today. This is part of our annual conference called the News Conference, Real and Powerful. So uh, to talk to you today about the state of America and the American presidency is a highlight for today's uh, agenda. Um, so let's just get to it. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. I've gone through on the, the campaign like everybody else on election day and then the sad, grim moment on um, January 6, 2021, know, which will live forever in American history, a day of infamy when our U.S. Capitol was sieged. But we had Joe Biden and Kamala Harris sworn in. We're still fighting COVID. Um, there's fears of new variants that might be coming our way, but there's also excitement that the vaccine process and the ability to distribute it in a smart logistical matters picking up. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to get back on track here in the next few months. Okay. Where we are right now, um, could you compare where we are right now to any other time in American history or no? Not really. I mean, I look at the Civil War. If you look at the election in 1860, um, Abraham Lincoln wasn't on the ballot in seven southern states. He wasn't seen as a real president. And that that whole period there what led to the Civil War is obviously the, the darkest and bloodiest period in U.S. history. Um, but this is getting in there. I mean, this is like a, 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 a lower grade of that. It's kind of a neo-Civil War played out on social media and hate groups. Um, but there's a deep divide in the country. There's no doubt about it. And um, we'll have to see how things play out. We're not out of crisis yet. I think the, the amount of anger in the U.S. is palatable. Um, and, and, you know, we've Though, you know, it, it's things can become apples and oranges. I mean, during the Vietnam War, we lost 58,000 dead in a, in a senseless war and many more maimed. And, you know, but, you know, COVID is Trump to blame for COVID? Is, is he partially to blame? I mean, historians are going to be looking at this pandemic and how America seems to have been utterly unprepared to um, control it or defeat it in, in a um, quick amount of time. But we the good news is some of our R&D is kicking in and now capitalism is sort of driving the story by getting different companies to get, uh, get vaccines. And we are slowly starting to get shots in our arms. My dad's 93 
and he got his first shot and he's very excited next week to get his shot. And that will start calming some waters when people 65 or older feel that they've been inoculated. Okay. Let, let me key into one thing that you just said, though, and that goes back to, to the anger and the rage that people in America are feeling right now. What do you attribute that to? Um, I think racism is a big part of American history. Uh, I think whether you're dealing not just with the original sins of, of slavery, uh, the middle passage to the new world, uh, all of the, um, you know, horrible stories of, 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 of that we the Civil War was central to. Uh, we then had Jim Crow laws and segregation laws and this a sense of uh, white entitlement, white empowerment. Um, and it's been there. I mean, George Wallace, you know, ran a great third party uh, run and uh, did well when he ran as a Democrat, as a running as a rank segregationist. Uh, Strom Thurmond in 1948 ran as a Dixiecrat, that he doesn't believe in equal rights between blacks and whites. And so, and particularly in the red states of today, the southern states, where the, um, there is a still a feeling that um, the North and this coast case, East Coast elites are telling the South what to do. And while the South says, hey, our states have or have less problems than you do California with all your environmental laws and burning wildfires and climate change in New York City. You can't even go in your subways but of COVID, but here in um, back roads of Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma, uh, we're not, we're, we're, we feel we're doing better. We feel we're doing okay. And so that's kind of a revenge going on in the South um, uh, for the Civil War because the, the Sun Belts now attracted a lot of money. I mean, in, in Texas, where I'm at, um, you know, people don't realize San Antonio's um, the seventh largest city in the country. Yeah. And um, Austin, uh, uh, Houston is fourth largest. Austin, you know, is 11th. Dallas, Fort Worth, one of the largest metro areas in the country. And people keep moving into Texas and moving into uh, places where taxes are lower and where you don't have corporate taxes. So there's a, um, a, a, a kind of gray, blue versus gray civil war mentality going on now. And it's all been exacerbated by the uh, social media, by the fact that a young person could get on a hate site and a white supremacy site or a site of violence in any kind of form and, and get addicted to it quickly. And so uh, we may be, and then we're shopping conspiracy theories galore. You're dealing with mm -hmm. millions of Americans who think Neil Armstrong didn't go to the moon. We're not teaching civics in high school anymore. There's no real sense of public service. We have kind of a history amnesia. People aren't even, don't even know when World War I is in the United States um, for, you know, and, and so we've got some issues. I think getting back to education and teaching what democracy is, paying teachers more money and starting to uh, be able to have classes for internet education, not just handing iPhones to 12 years old and let them at it might, okay. might be a, a, a way to start helping. Okay. All right. You, you did touch on the state of uh, the two party system in America. Do you see that as relevant to these times? I mean, are, where, are we looking at a time when a third and fourth major party may be emerging? It's hard to run a big third party. You know, Ross Perot did it um, in 1992. He was also a billionaire. 
willing to spend mm -hmm. his own money. And he did get 19% of the vote. Um, I think the threat of the moment for the Republicans is Donald Trump saying, I'll create a Magna party. If you turn on me, if Republican party wants to get rid of me, I'll take my base and I'll run a third party. And he probably has half of the Republican party on his side. So we're in a di difference between the big feud going on between Republicans and Democrats, Trumpians and non-Trumpians, uh, rural versus urban, black versus uh, uh, white, um, uh, general discrimination against Native Americans, women, gender discrimination. The list is the list is long, but there is really a fight for the whatever is the Republican Party going on right now between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and. We'll only know in the next few months whether Trump could ever be a viable third party candidate uh, or whether he'll be still the mainstay of the Republican Party. OK. All right. It does seem like we have two Americas right now, doesn't it? Sort of. Right. Two different media sources that people tune into. Two different yeah, that's, facts. That, that's where I, that's where I was going to go with that. The role that the news media is playing in the American divide right now. Is there anything in history that is comparable to that? I mean, I realize we wouldn't have had Twitter and Facebook uh, throughout our history, but if you just look at, you know, the mainstream mass media, um, can you can you draw any parallels to well, our the, history there? The free press is essential for America and our early republic for example, the election of 1800, it was just brutal what the newspapers were, you know, demonizing John Adams versus Thomas Jefferson. Um, so there's always been this, you know, rub of partisan newspapers. We had less of that starting with approximately the World War II era when we were all in it together. And there was a honeymoon period where reporters even gave presidents breaks. Uh, journalists didn't report on the the daily doings of they didn't even report photograph Franklin Roosevelt for being in a wheelchair because they thought that was unseemly, let alone dare talk about a president having an affair or let alone dare, um, you know, uh, intimating about the illness of a particular president. I think Watergate changed all of that. I mean, all the president's men went to jail. Uh, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Dean, Mitchell, the Colson, the list is long. And um, Nixon should have been impeached, but he resigned and got a pardon from Gerald Ford. And since then, the press has been, I think, more and more adversarial. At the same time, um, they're becoming more partisan. And so you're having two different kind of pack dogs going on in the country. Um, the, what some people would call the traditional media, the New York Times, Washington Post, CBS, on and on. And then the new media of the right, led by Fox, New York Post, um, things that Steve Bannon does, uh, uh, other alt-right platforms. And um, they're crashing. And if you, any person, watch MSNBC one night and watch the uh, Fox the next night, you're getting two That's different realities. Of what's going on in America, but it's that. But it's even. But it's still a semblance of balance because sponsors are buying ads. Big Subaru's buying ads on both networks. But when you get onto the internet world, it just people just start peeling off into uh, two different camps, and uh, 
you know, and it's an, I find it where, where that it's a low ebb of public trust in journalism. I wrote a book on Walter Cronkite. And when he left the presidency in 1980, I'm the presidency, when he left CBS anchor job in 1981, uh, journalists had about a 70% approval rating. They're down to like 20% now, you know, so the public's lost some of its, um, sense of who who to trust and there is no walter cronkite there is no referee on the food fight that is american politics and the stakes are high right now when you have things like um covid crisis and climate change and poverty and systemic racism i mean these are giant issues uh and we somehow need to fight them work together I keep dreaming. My last book was called American Moonshot, John F. Kennedy and the Great Space Race. And I wrote it because I, I remember when people all did something big together. Everybody was cheering Neil Armstrong on the moon. I don't know what that moonshot is today. I don't know what we can do that pulls the country together short of a war or, or um, some kind of terror attack and we don't want either of those so uh something hopefully will pull us together and we think of ourselves as americans i'm catholic so i go to catholic church and if i'm going to get communion i'm not worried about who in communion line if that's a democrat or republican if they voted for trump or not i'm just in church and uh i think at a local level a lot of our communities don't have quite the animosity and um hatred towards neighbor that we're seeing on the social media platforms um, and, you know, in kind of staged pseudo events that keep going on that are, are hate filled. Yeah. Well, let's focus a little bit on, on the media itself today, because one of, one of the striking differences that I see happening is the speed of the news cycle. You know, er everything is very reactionary. Everything is of the minute. And what's news today isn't news in five minutes from now. Everyone's forgotten about it. I think that plays into what you said earlier about having no sense of history, you know, because we keep living every moment in the moment and forgetting what's happening behind us. Um, do you think we would be better off as a country with the slower news cycle? Well, I do. But look, I also still use the, a flip phone. I saw you on it too. <laughs> I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I, I find there's some great dangers with uh, media technology. Uh, I'm not a big booster of it. That's why I don't use Twitter. I don't do platforms. Uh, I try and I don't do very many of, of a Zoom like events. I just not, I like reading books and taking nature hikes. So I'm old fashioned. Uh, because it gets too fast. If you're watching and listening and reading, uh, every minute you think the, the, the doomsday is upon you and it's not very good for the soul. And so I, you, I try to read my news and consume the news in a way that's going to fit in with my, my, um, my uh, mindfulness, my sense of my daily life and my three children and my wife and put it in proportion but if you get if you're fired up and watching that stuff 24/7, you know, you're ready to um, you know, do you know, you start pulling the, your your hair out. And yeah. and yet it is a really dangerous world out there right now. And we've got to find ways to bring the right issues to the public. Why can't we stop complete all testing of nuclear weapons, a global 
moratorium on nuclear weapons testing uh, in our atmosphere? Uh, why can't we come up with working on climate solutions in, in a global way? Uh, those are hard kind of issues to find media time in when every minute we're worried about what Donald Trump's doing at Mar-a-Lago and, uh, is, and, and you know, what uh, Chuck Schumer just said and what somebody just tweeted. And it, it, we sometimes um, don't take serious some of the big issues of our time. As a historian, I like to pull back and I look and see, I ask myself, who's a sustainable hero? Okay. 300 years from now, we all be saying, wow, that was quite a heroic person in our age. Dr. Fauci would be one in my view, but people like Jane Goodall and her mm -hmm. work that she's doing, um, you know, um, uh, Bill McKibben working with on climate issues as an activist. Uh, you start finding these people that are doing amazing work and you just want to try to build, give them a platform I'm working as a historian, so I'm writing right now on Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring Revolution in 1962, which led to the environmental movement, which led to media. That book led to the uh, CBS News and ABC showing Lake Erie dead, showing the Cuyahoga River on fire, covering live the Santa Barbara oil spill. It was the media that allowed that environmental movement to kick in because they were prioritizing it night after night after night, you know? Right. And if we started doing every network right now and radio stations started doing planet in peril and, and about climate change, it would start awakening people to that more. Uh, but alas, uh, people feel that doesn't get ratings or if people get bored with that or people feel frustrated because we, we can't get off of gasoline soon. So it, um, the media is the hope, mm -hmm. but it's also um, sometimes frustrating because we've made entertainment news. Okay. All right. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, as a presidential historian, I'm curious whether or not the viewpoints of how good or bad or strong or weak an American president was ebbs and flows over the years, or does the opinion pretty much remain the same? Towards does the, the sentiment change? Towards the press? No, towards a United States president through the course of history. You know, the, the, we, that's a good, interesting question, actually. Um, it's whether or not the general sentiment uh, of a United States president changes over time, or or once you have an opinion of a president, is it pretty much cemented? Well, it can change. I mean, Harry Truman left office with a 27% approval rating, and people would say to Eris Truman, mm -hmm. and he's now ranked fourth or fifth all-time great presidents. Dwight Eisenhower's gone way up in the polls. People like Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter, people are giving them a big revision Ronald Reagan, who used to be just a conservative president, is now up his boats high with everybody, uh, at least in the sense of rankings. So you have a chance of leaving office in um, in low ebb uh, disfavor. And due, due to a smart post-presidency, you can help rebuild that, meaning building a presidential memoir, doing good works like Jimmy Carter won a Nobel Mm -hmm. And then people will look at your whole life, not just your presence. The Fair Media Council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media-savvy society. For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming Fast Chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.